Welcome to Talking Pictures. My name is Christian Gensel. I'm a filmmaker and film journalist from Salzburg, Austria. Talking Pictures is a podcast series in which I talk to the people who made some of my favorite movies. Just like in our last episode, today's guest is not a filmmaker, but a novelist. In our last episode, I spoke to Rob McGregor, who wrote several Indiana Jones novels at the beginning of the 90s. This time, I'm talking to writer Max McCoy, who continued the series from 1995 to 1999 with four original Indiana Jones stories, starting with Indiana Jones and the Philosopher's Stone, and continuing with Indiana Jones and the Dinosaur Eggs, The Hollow Earth, and The Secret of the Sphinx. Before his indie series, Max had already written several novels in the Western genre, including The Sixth Rider, Sons of Fire, and its sequel Home to Texas. After the Indiana Jones books, he wrote several other Western novels like Hellfire Canyon, Damnation Road, or the Ophelia Wilde Paranormal Mystery series and the Ghost Rifle series. But also thrillers like Hinterland, non-fiction books like Elevations, A Personal Exploration of the Arkansas River, and the novelization of the Steven Spielberg-produced TV series Into the West. Max has won not only several awards for his novels, including three Spur Awards, but also for his investigative reporting, because in his other career, Max also works as a journalist and for many years taught as a professor of journalism at Emporia State University in Kansas. In our conversation, Max recalls how he became involved with the world of Indiana Jones and how he distilled the ideas of George Lucas into a series of stories that feel very close to the original indie movies. He discusses the importance and the appeal of the indie character, the input from Lucasfilm, and some of the ideas that didn't make it into his novels. He also talks about his research process, his literary influences, and much more. The interview was conducted in connection with our German-language podcast Lichtspielplatz. So, if you speak German, please visit lichtspielplatz.at and check out episode number 64, which features an in-depth discussion of the Indiana Jones novels by Rob McGregor, Max McCoy and Wolfgang Holbein. Also, make sure to listen to my interview with Rob McGregor here on Talking Pictures, the novelist who wrote six original Indiana Jones novels in the early 90s. If you enjoy my conversation with Max McCoy, please visit TalkingPicturesPodcast.com to check out more interviews and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. So without any further ado, here is Max McCoy. Well, I always knew that I wanted to be a novelist. And one of the things that uh, I had read, um, a piece of advice that Ernest Hemingway had uh, had written about was to that there was no better place to learn how to write than in daily journalism so that's really what led me into journalism so there's that component and also uh the watergate effect of uh woodward and bernstein uh, attracted a lot of young people in the 70s and 80s to journalism so mm -hmm. those two things together um that's what what drew me to to journalism and I think Hemingway was right. Uh, journalism is a great place to learn how to write, to how to construct a story, how to write on deadline, uh, deal with that kind of pressure. Um, so I just stuck with the journalism. Uh, so I've had really dual careers for uh, since I was in my 20s, the journalism and uh, the novel writing. Mm -hmm. Um, the first novels you wrote were um, all Westerns, and um, after the Indiana Jones novel also, you wrote a lot of Western stories. Most of your stories are set in that genre and in that, in that era. 
was there something particular that interested you in that era? Well, I grew up in Southeast Kansas in a little corner of Kansas. That's the only part of Kansas that's actually in the Ozarks, a lot of history, um, Baxter Springs, Kansas, site of a, a civil war battle. And so I grew up with the history of the old West, also the Dalton's, um, Coffeeville, not too far away. So I grew up in that environment. I also grew up reading a lot of, well, Mark Twain mm-hmm. and, um, also, um, Charles Portis, um, and Thomas Berger, and those influenced my, uh, my fiction choices. Most of my Westerns are set in either Kansas or Missouri, which reflects my regional interest. Um, I do have other books. Uh, I have some adventure books. I have, uh, uh, a couple of thrillers and, um, I have some mysteries, although they're set in the old West too, but mm-hmm. I tend to gravitate back toward, uh, Westerns. Um, and I, I've never really considered myself a Western writer as such. I know I, I am, and that's the way many of my books are marketed, but I just think that I, I write novels that just happen to be marketed as Westerns and some of my Westerns, at least, um, three of them have been called Western noir, which I think is a great term mm-hmm. for some of the stuff that I write. Yeah. The idea that I had was that, um, I mean, reading your Indiana Jones novels, uh, that you're very much interested in the historical period and the detail of an era. So uh, maybe that's where the connection was. Maybe that's what um, sort of led you from one thing to the other. I think so. I'm really interested in history and in fact, and in, um, and in weird history, um, folklore, that sort of thing. So it's a, it was a natural, uh, for me. I've also done some magazine work, uh, in the historical area and also in the, in the Fortean era. I'm not sure, Christian, if you're familiar with a, a British magazine called Fortean Times. I've heard of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I think it's the best magazine in the world. And I think I'm one of two subscribers in Kansas. (laughs) Um, and I started reading that uh, quite a while ago, of course, named for Charles Fort, the inveterate clipper of um, strange and weird news. And then he was an American, but um, Fortean Times is a, is a British publication. And I've written several pieces for them, not anything recently, but uh, that reflects my interests in the odd, the bizarre, the occult. Some of that um, helped with the Indiana Jones books. Uh, and it's not that I am a believer in conspiracy theories or extraterrestrials visiting us or being kidnapped. I like reading about it and thinking about it, um, but it's not that I subscribe to any particularly any particular uh, viewpoint when it comes to to UFOs or those sorts of things. I certainly have an open mind. I will say that I have not. Uh, um, I, I am not convinced um i i would like to be a believer but uh but i haven't seen the evidence yet i'm not saying it's it's not out there but uh, these are areas that are are fascinating from crop circles to cattle mutilations to yeah you you name it and mm-hmm. uh it's great fun 
Yeah, in that sense, I guess Indiana Jones is the perfect hero for you because he always has to deal with these things, with the supernatural, but he's always the skeptical. He's always saying, oh, hey, there must be some rational explanation for this. Yeah, you know, that's interesting because when I got the assignment from Doubleday Bannum to, um, and I had to write a sample chapter for uh, the first indie book, which became the first chapter in, the, in my first book. I found the research easy. I found the mindset easy because I'd already had a background in um, uh, that those historical things about World War II and the um, and the and, and the passion for artifacts, etc. Um, so that came pretty easy to me. But also, what I realized is that Indiana Jones shares something with other wildly popular genre. Uh, entertainment in that it is set in our world, but there's always a hint of the otherworldly in it. There all, there's always a hint of the supernatural. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know, Robert E. Howard's Conan, um, Swords and Sorcery, uh, the swords are most of it, but then the sorcery is, is the thing that makes it work. And so with Indiana Jones, it is that question of whether um, there is, there are these otherworldly things um, that influence us, and, and that's what I think make really makes indie work. Mm -hmm. um, and do you know why you got the um, assignment to do them? Was there a oh, competition yeah. between yeah, different yeah. writers, or? A... Um, well, Rob McGregor, as you know, was the first, and mm -hmm. uh, he kicked off the books, and then I wrote a. Uh, after I wrote a couple of novels for Doubleday, a couple of Westerns, and uh, got some attention, won some awards, then my editor at uh, Doubleday liked the way I handled action. And he said, well, you know, we've just gotten the uh, the license for uh, to do four original Indiana Jones novels, um, to continue them, rather, and would you be interested in doing it, since I like the way you handle action, and I said, sure. And I can remember way back uh, when the first indie movie was released, Raiders of the Lost Ark. And I saw it in a drive-in theater in Joplin, Missouri. Mm -hmm. And it was misty. There was rain on the windshield and was, you know, looking around the, the windshield wipers. And, you know, this movie had kind of a strange name. I, I knew I liked Spielberg and his directing, but uh, had no idea what I was going to get into. Uh, when I saw this, but in the first few minutes with that set piece of the boulder, you know, rolling after Indy and him losing the, um, uh, the idol to Belloc, I was, I was just really hooked. And I remember thinking at that moment, sitting in that car in the rain, that somebody is paid to write this. And of course it was Lawrence Kasdan who was paid at that time. But I, re I remember thinking how wonderful that would be. And then not too many years later, um, I was asked to contribute to that world, which I found it to be an incredible honor. It was uh, uh, demanding in some ways, uh, always rewarding, and I'm certainly glad I had the opportunity. And um, um, that's just, you know, rarely do dreams come true, but this is an example where one of my dreams actually did come true. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can imagine. Did you go back to the movies and, and study them and, you know, look at individual scenes and moments and such? I did. After I uh, got the invitation to write a sample chapter, 
I spent a weekend and I, um, at that time there were only the three movies. And so I rented all three movies and uh, binge watched them over and over several times, taking notes. And I'd already had a pretty good grasp of, of indie. Um, and I already knew about uh, uh, George Lucas and his uh, use of Joseph Campbell's The Hero's Journey in um, Star Wars. And you can see this in Indiana Jones too. So I had a pretty good working knowledge of that. But what I did is I sat down and absorbed the movies and tried to get the tone of the novels right. And the tone was really the, the hardest thing because there was some disagreement between or among Lucasfilm and my editor and uh, Bantam um, and me about what the tone should be. And the question was, are these books children's books are they mm -hmm. for young adults or are they adult fiction and i always lobbied that they should be adult fiction um so we sort of compromised as things went on uh there were some chapters out of some books that were dropped because um either the publisher or lucasfilm felt that uh, they were just too advanced and they were afraid that it might uh, uh, offend some younger readers so when people people mm. still ask me are these young adult books and i say not really um and that's the way i look at them because i think mm. about you know the, the first indie movie it was pretty dark um the first movie was really dark and then it, they started softening by the time of you know certainly the, the the second one and the third one and so the character and the tone changed a little bit still uh, still had Andy. He was um, still himself. But that first one um, with the set pieces, I say, when the boulder rolls after him, Indy is not is not probably someone you would want to have a drink with in that first um, in that at least in the first 20 minutes of that movie. He's a he's a pretty dark character. He's a, a tomb raider. Uh, he does shady things. And then he does have an arc, of course, through the three films. And this is one of the reasons that when I had the choice of, of setting my novels, I wanted them to be set in the years immediately prior to, to 1935 in that first, the time period of that first indie movie. Yeah, it is a, a, an edgier indie that you have um, in your novels. He's, he's, um, he's accused of being a grave robber a couple of times. And That's people, right. people when, when they meet him, they, um, already in the first book where he's being introduced to that society uh, by Marcus Brody and I don't know the, the head of the society says yeah I've heard of your adventures and how dare you um, you know try and join our organization <laughs> right right how would you describe Indiana Jones as a hero that's a good question and I'm uh, gonna have to buy some time uh, while I think about that uh, how would I describe him as a hero. Well, he certainly followed Joseph Campbell's monomyth in terms of what we expect from a hero, and that is that he's um, called into something that is larger than himself. Uh, he has to sacrifice that uh, he has to discover inside himself what it is uh, to succeed. Uh, he has um, a fear that he must confront in, in Indy's case, it's well, in the first movie, it's snakes. Um, so 
there's that. I, I do think that Indy follows the monomyth really well, Christian. Um, also, in terms of comparing him to to other action adventure heroes, he's a little bit of James Bond, and this was um, mm -hmm. what Lucas and Spielberg had in mind. Not too far over in James Bond, but a little bit, a little bit Saturday afternoon serial. We get some of that, but he managed to manages to transcend all that as a character. I mean, how many characters can you think of that have worldwide recognition? And India is certainly, uh, certainly among them. Harrison Ford did a great job of bringing those personal touches and the the uh, the, the human touches to the character. Uh, but what Lawrence Kasdan and George Lucas and Steven Spielberg came up with in the first movie was nothing short of it's well, it's it's genius and it suited uh, the mood and suited uh, our taste for popular entertainment entirely because Indy has Indy has relatable flaws. He has mm -hmm. uh, we can understand uh, many of the things he does and how he feels and um in particularly in the first movie, he is motivated by greed, uh, mostly, and then that evolves into a classic struggle uh, between uh, good and evil. So Indy has to find the good within himself, um, mm -hmm. which he eventually does. And this was the challenge for continuing the story, is Indy has a pretty clear arc in the first three movies. And then what do you do after that? And this is the part that I was brought in. And how do you, uh, how, do, how do you stay consistent to that without backtracking or uh, violating the integrity of the character? So that's what I spent the most time thinking about while writing the, the four novels. Mm -hmm. I found a great passage about that in um, the second book in The Dinosaur Egg, um, where Indy talks to Joan, the the fake nun, uh, nun slash reporter, <laughs> um, <laughs> where um, she asks him, what is it that I need to understand about Indiana Jones? And he says that I'm a hopeless raving romantic, that I keep my word to my friends, that I don't sleep around when I'm in love with somebody else, that I don't lose my values just because I'm a few thousand miles from home, that there are things in this world which science can't explain, but which just maybe the human heart can. I had forgotten that. I'm glad you read that. That is my personal philosophy as well. So, um, mm -hmm. uh, but I think it is true to Indy. That's why this is why we, this is why we admire Indy. And at the same time, Indy always has something that he needs to learn in every movie, every book, every adventure. So, um, hmm. That that really touched me that you found that passage and read it. I hadn't thought about that in many years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm always looking for those little moments, you know, when the, the moments that are not about plot, but, um, you know, about character and where I can sort of, uh, where I can see the values behind the story and the um, the ideas that go into them. I mean, you do have a lot of those those moments. Every Each one of your stories sort of has a, a little philosophical question in it so to speak um, I mean the first one that's right at the beginning when Indy talks to Marcus Brody and he's sort of questioning the whole well it, basically what he's doing is questioning the the idea of archaeology and Marcus Brody says well we have to learn about the past 
so that we won't uh, repeat the mistakes. And then he says something very interesting too, is that maybe it doesn't feed our stomachs, but it feeds our souls. Thank you, yeah. Um, I was going through a really rough period of my life while I was writing those books as well. So there were some things that were, that writing the novels and, and, and allowing these conversations helped me personally get through. And I won't bore you with what I was going through. And it wasn't, it wasn't, it was normal stuff. Okay. It was normal mm -hmm. life stuff, uh, relationship stuff. So, um, but some of that did come through pretty clearly, I think, uh, I think in the books. Mm -hmm. um, when you sort of structured the books, um, did you know in advance that you were going to write four books and then sort of laid out the story um, as that structure that you have now? I did. I knew from the start that it would be four books. That was uh, what the contract was. And I sketched them all out and had to get them the ideas approved by uh, Lucasfilm. Um, I'd gotten a, um, the Bible for Indy, which was a huge binder and some other supplemental binders that was everything that was known about Indy at the time mm -hmm. and the things that Lucas wanted to do with Indy. And of course, there have been things like the, the young Indiana Jones Chronicles and all those different derivations uh, uh, of that, uh, derivations, pardon me. And so I had a, a, a challenge of what do I consider actually canon with Indy? And so I decided just to stick to the movies and that made it a little easier for me because there was so much happening in the young Indiana Jones Chronicles, which some of it doesn't quite, didn't quite work, I thought. So I, I had some ideas and uh, pitched them. Um, a couple of the ideas that actually the first book I wanted to do, um, first adventure, would have been uh, The Spear of Destiny. But at the time, Dark Horse Comics had a competing storyline about to come out. So that was, uh, so I had to move to my next one, which was The Philosopher's Stone. I uh, was pretty disappointed about that because I thought The Sphere of Destiny was, would, be, would have been a terrific, um, terrific book. But uh, I did have to change plans because of the indie universe because of that. Uh, there was also a time travel element Mm -hmm. uh, that runs through the four books. Astute readers may pick up on it, may not, but it uh, it ended up, there were a couple chapters that were ended up left out of the last book that explains some of the things that Indy seems tireder and older than he should be uh, in, the, in mm -hmm. the last book in certain sections. And uh, there is a time travel element, which, Ultimately, they decided, they meaning Lucasfilm, decided to cut. And uh, we had to, to rework the book a little bit, but some elements of that remain. Mm -hmm. Did you have discussions about the use of the crystal skull throughout the books? Um, we did. And the crystal skull, of course, mine is very different than uh, what came in the movie version. Uh, so... Uh, mine is obviously based on a on a, an actual artifact uh, from Indy's time period called the Mitchell Hedges skull, mm -hmm. uh, which turned out to be 
probably a hoax, um, but um, mine was very different than the movie in that mine is not an alien skull. So uh, there are some similarities, but yeah. Uh, and of course, the 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 movie hadn't even been um, that hadn't been planned or anything uh, when I was writing the books. So, and I did the Crystal Skull to give a a a unifying arc to all four novels, so that they're just not um, four separate adventures that the mm. four books would would be tied together through this continuing thing. And I won't. I won't give any spoilers for readers who may read this, but I, I do manage to wrap it up in the fourth book. Mm. It's interesting because when I spoke to Rob McGregor, he told me that he had intended to do a story on the crystal skulls um, and that um, that was rejected because George Lucas said that um, we're not going to do crystal skulls. <laughs> so. Yeah. Uh, 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 as I recall, Rob told me that. Um, we had an email exchange and I was surprised to hear that. So, and also surprised that, that there was no, there was no discussion with Lucasfilm about that other than, um, yeah, you just can't have the time travel element. Mm -hmm. Did you have discussions about the use of the various characters? Because some of the characters from the movies also appear in the books, like Bilok mm -hmm. or Sala or um, even Lao Che and um, Indy's friend Wuhan. Absolutely. And course I, as i said i had the bible so i i had an idea at the time of what uh, lucasfilm's plans were but before i i wrote each book i i made a list of the characters i would use and uh, um, got the green light for that so uh so i i knew that uh, that i was okay using those some of the things that i did not how should I say this? And and I really enjoyed working with Lucasfilm and I don't want to make it sound like I didn't. Mm. I enjoyed working with Lucasfilm. I, I uh, tremendously enjoyed working with Lucy Autry Wilson. who was the uh, second in command in Lucasfilm and in, in the, in Lucasfilm at that time uh, had been George Lucas's first employee, actually mm -hmm. uh, originally an accountant on THX 1138, but there were some discussions that we had that seemed trivial now uh, that what we talked most about was uh, what do we call Indy? Do we call him Indy or can I refer to him as something else? And I did not want to always call Indy Indy mm -hmm. uh, in the books. And of course, now this is firmly established that he is Indy. Everyone thinks of him as Indy. But I wanted to have some scenes where he was referred to as uh, Jones or Dr. Jones and to give a little space and to acknowledge that these aren't kids books. Uh, so there was that. Um, mm -hmm. We had lots of discussions about the amount of drinking uh, that, oh. uh, that Indy did in my books. And some of those scenes were left out. And of course, I would always go back and say, well, look how much he drinks in, uh, look how much he drinks in Raiders. Um, mm -hmm. And then uh, about some of Indy's language and the most intense negotiation we had was uh, over a chapter in the dinosaur eggs where Indy is uh, facing I'm trying to put this delicately um, yeah I'm just not gonna I'm, I'm not gonna say what it was but it was a, a, a technique that he used to keep from um, 
dying of dehydration in the desert that was uh, that was cut. You can probably figure <laughs> out what that would be. Yeah. <laughs> so. But again, you know, it was a those things aside, and those are just and they really are trivial. They were small things. Um, Bannum gave me uh, tremendous support on it. Lucasfilm gave me tremendous support. Um, it took me longer than expected to finish the four books. Um, took me about a year each to write them or sometimes a little longer, depending on what was going on and the schedule called for something uh, quicker. But after the first book, um, Lucasfilm said, yeah, it, this is great. Let's stick with this. And um, so did so did uh, my editor at Bantam, Tom Dupree. So I'm very grateful uh, for that. And I'm Overall, I'm pleased about how the books have, how they turned out, and how many people they've reached. Um, I hear from people every week that uh, have read them and and asking questions. They'll send a message through the website, etc. I uh, just in the last couple of weeks, I've heard from a documentary filmmaker um, that read the books and it was a big influence on him. And one of the reasons that he got into doing historical uh, documentaries. And that was very nice to hear. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. How difficult was it for you to come up with all the mysteries that Indiana Jones is involved in? I mean, seeing that um, when you came in, there had already been so many different stories and sort of some of the legends were sort of used up um, in a way. Right. Well, as I said, I wanted to do the um, the Spear of Destiny, uh, which I think is a uh, was a great MacGuffin, um, and you know, and Dark Horse did a good job with it. I'm not saying they didn't. It was just at the same time, I had a list of 25 or 30 such mysteries that I think would work that had not been used, and I still have that list and. Um, um, there's still a dozen of them that are, are really good. Some things work uh, better for Indy than others. And of course, Ark of the Covenant is the best. Um, Holy, Be Holy Grail is uh, one of the best. Uh, mm -hmm. But there are still a few out there uh, that, uh, that would work uh, really well, I think. So not everything has been used up. I think there's a problem with Indy when you get past World War II that um, the stories do not work quite so well as in the adventures set before World War II. I think Indy is a character that probably does not translate well to a post-modern world. So, mm. and some of the, um, some of the artifacts... Um, and I think there's still indie stories to be told. Um, and I think, still think there are, are good artifacts, uh, for indie to go after. I'm not sure with the changes in terms of ownership and Disney and all of that, whether it, this is the right time, but, uh, um, Disney's a, a you know, Disney's a wonderful character. He's, um, uh, certainly we need the indie character in some ways um and the ways in which i think we need indie as a as a culture not just american culture but but worldwide is that he 
he fulfills the idea of the monomyth by giving us something to aspire to. Here is someone who is challenged by great odds and eventually um, overcomes them, and that gives us hope. I mean, mm-hmm. it's hard to leave a it's hard to leave any of the indie movies without really without a sense of hope because good does overcome evil and that sounds simplistic but having written some of the adventures and having tried to figure out how that happens in a way that does not seem hackneyed or pollyanna-ish it's important and it's what keeps us you know going back to the movies it's what keeps us uh reaching for novels not that not that good will always triumph certainly but that it reinforces the idea that there is a structure in the universe where the arc bends toward justice and progress and the good mm-hmm. not the evil and i think that's what that's what it gives us and particularly particularly when we are in uncertain times like the entire world is in uncertain times now um of course even more uncertain than than normal um, indie represents some values to be emulated um, that he uses his considerable talents on behalf of things that are bigger than himself for causes that are just uh, for he's often uh, helping those who um, don't have any advocates or any allies and sometimes he is the only thing that stands between us and disaster so Mm -hmm. yeah i'm thinking of a scene in um i think at the dinosaur egg where um they feed the starving children and um i think indy's companion says well if we give away our food like this um we'll eat we'll be eating rats in in no time and indy (laughs) answers um better to eat rats than to live as a rat so (laughs) i Uh, think that speaks to that to that to those values that you're talking about thank you uh and and you know the books much better than i do at this point you've uh, you're obviously (laughs) prepared and i love that you you've read them um Sometimes I go back to the books and and look at them and think, gosh, did I did I really write that? And then of course I did, but sometimes I forget what's in them. So it's it's nice to be reminded. Thank you. <laughs> um, so what about the process when you um, wrote those stories? Can I ask you about the um, or just basically the the technique that you use to map out the story, or do you do outlines? How did you sort of structure everything? I tried to structure them as, as screenplays, frankly. Um, I had some experience with screenplays, so I know the screenplay structure, and uh, that's what I used. Um, and that helped. I tend to think in terms of scenes rather than chapters. So what I would do and still do with my books is I will write scenes down and I still use index cards. I know this sounds really old fashioned, but uh, I will write scenes as they come to me down on index cards. And then I will rearrange them later to, to try to get the right pace and the rhythm. And I will decide where, where the inciting incident is, where the end of act one is. And the end of act one is a really, um, is a really important turning point. If the end of act one doesn't work, 
the rest of the book falls apart unless you're doing a, a, a four act approach. And, and I did that, I think in one of the books, um, but end of uh, the end of act three or is really important. And then you figure out, and then the long middle is always um, the most problematic. How do you keep interest going? How, um, uh, where does this lead up to? And then, then your act three. And so after I would have the index cards, then I would write an outline. And then I would usually, and this is true of me with other books as well, I would usually stick pretty close to the end of the outline and the end of act one, and then beyond that. And then somewhere in the middle, I would have to come up with something that was better than I imagined at the time, because it just turned out to be $2 not working. So the middles tend to take off on their own and things tend to happen that weren't in the outlines or weren't envisioned. And then I end up where I wanted to be in the beginning when I when I wrote the the scenes out and um, was thinking about the structure. So that pretty much describes my process for uh, nearly every uh, book that I've written. Mm -hmm. How about your research? Um, how much research do you do? I mean, there, there's a lot of historical detail, mythological detail. At which point does the, the research play into that structure? Ideally, you should do the research first or enough of the, the research so that uh, uh, you know which direction the story is going to be because you could run across a fact that's, that's going to wreck everything if you've mm -hmm. used the, um, if you haven't done enough research. I love to do research and research is the fun part for me. I would do research. If I didn't have deadlines, I would just keep doing research and never actually get around to writing anything. This is how much I like the research. And it is so much fun. It has changed a little bit with the, uh, with the internet in terms of there are more things that are accessible, but they are often not as rich or as deep as you would like. So um, and that's changing. It depends upon your research techniques. I'll give you an example rather than talking in generalities. One of the things where the internet has really helped with the research is the, the digitization of newspapers and the avail availability mm -hmm. of looking up newspapers online. Um, and I pay for a couple of different um, subscriptions for, uh, for online databases for newspapers. Uh, being able to look up newspapers from the 19th or the early 20th century uh, with just a few clicks, uh, whereas before you would have to go to libraries and a, usually a state historical society and look up on microfilm and microfiche, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, so that's been an advantage, and I really like that. Uh, the thing that the internet has not been able to help with is the creative part of doing research. And I'll give you a, an example of this. With... Uh, my research for for the indie books was uh, the Voynich manuscript, this um, mm -hmm. world's most mysterious manuscript, it was called. Um, and one of the sources that I ran across for the Voynich manuscript, uh, Mary D'Imperio, and it was listed and uh, in one of the uh, articles I read uh, that this source was listed as a Department of Agriculture uh, publication, which kind of confused me or really confused me at the time. 
So I filed some interlibrary loan requests at my local library. And this was back in the 90s uh, for this particular publication and came up with nothing and came up with nothing and uh, did more research and then worked with. Uh, and by the way, I really I really love librarians. They are uh, oh. essential to what to what uh, we do. Um, worked with my local librarian, uh, interlibrary loan specialist. And then one day she she gave me a call and said, look, I finally got this, um, the uh, manuscript or the book that you um, asked for, but it's not a Department of Agriculture book. And I said, well, what do you mean? And she said, well, you're not going to believe this, but it's been declassified. That was This was published by the National Security Agency. And of course, the NSA, no such agency. At that time, the government didn't even want to admit that, that it existed. But D'Imperio was um, in the employee of the NSA, and she had researched the Voynich manuscript as a possible code. And this is what the NSA's interest in it. And it was a, an incredible research, resource mm -hmm. uh, for this. So you don't get that level of, or at least I don't get that level of fun or that level of creativity in terms of researching things as much as I used to. Um, it still happens occasionally. It might take the form of an email now or something rather than interlibrary loan request, but it does require a, a certain amount of persistence and willingness to find sources that perhaps others haven't. And this is one of the things that I talk about in um, in the uh, afterwards to uh, mm -hmm. the indie books. So I do think I recount that story. Was that something that you um, wanted to do the afterwards with the historical research? Right. I asked to do that. I thought they were, uh, I thought it was important. I'm glad I, I'm glad I did them. Uh, it gave me a chance to, at the end of each novel, to speak in my own voice, to talk about the, the actual research that went into it, um, to ask, to pose some questions. Um, one of the questions I posed, does magic work, which I didn't have an answer for that. Uh, and Yeah, and from the readers, I hear that they um, have really liked the afterwards as well. And it gave me an opportunity at the last one, uh, at the end of the fourth book, uh, to say now I'm 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 passing the hat and the whip. So, which was mm -hmm. good. Yeah, and it also sends you in a way onto a journey when you, um, you sort of see, oh, okay, this person really, um, this is fact, and this is based on something from the actual world, and so it sort of sends you to the library or these days onto Wikipedia, I guess, um, but to, right. to sort of start more research on uh, the background of the stories, which I, I've always liked about the Indiana Jones stories. Thanks. Yeah, that's what I'd hoped. Um, and it was it's also an opportunity to engage in, as I said, I, I, I love the research and I, I loved um, sharing some of that as well. Now, in, um, in your books, you also mention... Um, many different writers. Um, I mean, at the beginning of our conversation, you already mentioned Mark Twain, and he gets mm -hmm. a mention in one of the books. And you also mentioned the Coleridge poem, uh, Kubla yeah. Khan, and you mentioned Old Coward and Jules Verne. And um, I think you have a Ulysses quote somewhere in there. So a lot of different writers. Are those the writers that, that um, sort of that you admire that um, that inspired you to write? They are largely Certainly Mark Twain, Joyce, um, the others. Um, I'll tell you where my, the most 
influential set of books in my writing career um, came from my home growing up in Baxter Springs, Kansas. And we were um, a lower middle class family. I mean, we were okay. We always had plenty of food, but um, it was tough in many other ways. But my mother was an inveterate reader and she had a antique secretary that had been passed down through the family and it had a little bookshelf in it. It's one of these it's the like a a poor person's version of a of a roll top desk, except it had a fold down uh, leaf that you could write on. Had um, pigeonholes for letters and had a space for an inkwell. And over at one side, it had a little uh, uh, bookshelf. And my mother had probably twenty books. Uh, and this is where I began my reading career. And those books included things like well. There was Mark Twain. Uh, there was the complete Sherlock Holmes by Conan Doyle. Um, there were uh, some contemporary novels. Uh, there was The Godfather. There was a book about scuba diving, a, a, a novel set against the background of scuba diving called Go to the Widowmaker by James Jones. And there was a, a Saturday Evening Post that had an um, unpublished Mark Twain story or an unfinished Mark Twain story first published. And these were all very influential. Oh, and also another Saturday Evening Post, I think from 1968, that had um, an excerpt of True Grit. Um, mm -hmm. So this really was where I formed my my taste for fiction and also had some really some trashy novels and and by trashy I don't mean pornographic I just mean uh some very cheap popular novels Forever Amber for example was one of them another one was The Foxes of Harrow by uh, uh Frank Yerby mm -hmm. uh really uh, mass market pot boiler type things and I really enjoyed The Foxes of Harrow that was a that was a, a fun story so this was the beginning of, and I was reading these things, uh, you know, I was 10, 11, 12. Um, and then I went on to the public library and found more, but that really was the core of my reading experience. So Mark Twain, Conan Doyle, um, there was also a biography of Ernest Hemingway in that, uh, in that little secretary, the Carlos Baker biography, which I read cover to cover. And then went out and sought out uh, uh, Hemingway's books on my own. Um, so it's interesting that I can trace so many of my, the influences to that, to that secretary in the books that my, that my mother had when I was a kid. <laughs> and it sort of finds its way into your stories. In many ways. Yes, it certainly has. And I think I've, um, yeah, as you mentioned, I, I talk about a lot of other writers in the indie books, and um, all of those were fairly significant. There was one other that I found on my own that wasn't in my mother's bookshelf. Um, it was King Solomon's Mines, mm -hmm. uh, Ryder Haggard. And of course, Ryder Haggard was um, the most popular of the Victorian novelists, single-handedly created the Lost Worlds um, genre. Um, my favorite of his um, is She, not any of the sequels, but the first mm -hmm. one is just, uh, it was hallucinatory. When I first read it, I was just uh, amazed and uh, reread it time and time again. Of course, it's, it's largely 
um, forgotten now, but it was pretty influential in terms of how I structure stories. I like frames a lot, and this probably comes from from Ryder Haggard. And um, mm -hmm. I don't always use a frame in my novels. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. Um, but uh, uh, certainly, the way he structured novels um, was, uh, I think, it was brilliant in terms of creating some type of frame that would create authenticity. For example, the finding of a lost manuscript or someone who is sitting down to tell a story. Mark Twain did this too, of course, in Connecticut Yankee. So when you wrote in the last book that you're passing on the, the hat and the whip, was there talk of any more indie books? Was there, um, were there discussions that you would maybe continue to write more? At that time, there wasn't. And it was also complicated because the way the licensing for, worked with uh, Lucasfilm is that they wanted to move the license from one major publisher to another every few mm -hmm. years. And this was at the time that they were um, undertaking one of these changes. And so there wasn't any immediate plans at Bantam to continue that um, changed later. Having done the Indies at the time, uh, I was ready to move on to other things. And of course, there were there, there were other books I was um, um, I was writing and I had uh, a couple of thrillers that I wanted to do. And after that, I did um, the novelization of um, Spielberg's Into the West. Mm -hmm. uh, and I met Kirk Ellis, who was the, the showrunner for the miniseries. And Kirk and I are still friends, by the way. And that was a great experience. So, but I, I didn't want to just do indie forever. And I, at the time, I thought that I had um, said everything that I, I needed to say um, in that world and was always mindful of the fact that I was playing in somebody else's world, that this was uh, George Lucas's and Spielberg's and, and Kasdan's creation, although Lucas owned the licensing, but they all created it. Um, and I wanted to do something more original. The question I get asked often is, would I do another uh, indie book? I'm not sure. Uh, it would depend upon how much freedom I had. Um, and if I had as much freedom as I did for those four books, the answer is maybe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, since you mentioned that you have... Um so many other ideas for um, <laughs> for yeah. artifacts that Indy could uh, go and look for. I mean, that's sort of a tease. But after your books, um, there weren't really that many more indie books. Um, they stopped doing them for a while. And then when The Crystal Skull came out, um, they did a few more. I think they did one regular uh, book, mm -hmm. The Army of the Dead, and a couple of more children-oriented versions of, of uh, indie books. But that was it. And I haven't seen anything, you know, in relation to the fifth movie now. Yeah, I haven't either. So I, I kept, keep expecting that, but uh, I haven't heard anything. Mm -hmm. Did you read the reviews um, when the when the books came out? Um, of mine? Yeah. Yeah, and I think for as movie tie-ins they didn't get large reviews uh some uh, a lot of fan sites did that a lot of fanzines and i think mostly they got it right and i was glad that um, reviewers seemed to recognize that the tone was consistent with raiders 
but yeah that's one thing that i when i look through the through the reviews that are on the web now um i think most people agree that you really um that you really nailed the Harrison Ford character and the, just the flavor of the indie stories. Um, funnily enough, I found one review um, that absolutely hated, um, I, I don't remember which book it was, but uh, for the reason that Indiana Jones says that he was never married. And in one of the Rob McGregor books, obviously he gets married and then the girl gets killed. But um, So that's the reason that he finds the book absolutely despicable. <laughs> right. Right. And there, yeah. Um, and this has been a while ago. There were reasons I think that, uh, uh, and I was aware um, in uh, McGregor's book, but uh, there are reasons why Indy said that, but yeah, it's fine. I mean, but you have to, you have to, you have to like that people take it so seriously. So I, mm. that's a good sign and you can't please everyone. And there are people out there who know, um, the indie universe much better than I do or or ever did. So hats off to them. <laughs> did you ever play the computer games? Yes. And was disappointed in them because I think it's hard to capture the essence of what indie is in a computer game. And when I say disappointed, I don't mean that I thought they were badly done or... Um, and I'm trying to think of the the one that I played, uh, the Infernal Machine. Am I getting that correct? Mm -hmm, I think yeah. so. Um, was really impressed with the graphics. Uh, a lot of work went into it. Um, I know um, a lot of people loved it, but I'm not sure that indie translates to a compute a computer game well. Yeah, there was an earlier one called Fate of Atlantis, where Indy finds oh, the lost yeah. continent Atlantis. And that one was really good. That one was, it was an Did adventure type. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't an action game, but more of a puzzle oriented with dialogue and everything. So that obviously lends itself much better to storytelling. Um, and the yeah. female character, actually, um, your character, Alicia, she reminded me of the uh, the, the, the female character in Fate of Atlantis, Sophia Hapgood, hmm. also red-haired um, with, with <laughs> slightly mystical powers. So um, <laughs> it's kind of a nice fit, I guess. It's <laughs> sort of the archetypal indie girl. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's interesting. Indie girls. Do we have indie girls like we have Bond girls? Maybe. Um, I always thought uh, Marion is a, just a, a tremendously fascinating character. Uh, I would have liked to have um, back in the original, and maybe it's better that we didn't get it, but back in Raiders, I would like to have seen more of that backstory. Maybe it was just better just alluding to it, but, uh, mm. um, but you know, and, and I understand that that's been developed in uh, more recent things, but yeah, but what a, what a terrific, strong character and uh from the you know the first time we see her you know the the drinking game and the mm -hmm. shootout and all that it's just perfect mm. yeah it's true I mean, she's amazing and it was one of the really uh the beautiful things of crystal skull when mm -hmm. uh, she came back and right she, she still had that sort of rapport with with harrison ford and uh was so really beautiful to see the two of them together absolutely yeah Okay, so well, that basically covers what I have about um, your books. Um, 
Well, Christian, you asked really good questions. Um, it was fun to hear some of those passages read back to me uh, and very humbling and gratifying. And uh, uh, thank you for choosing well on those. Um, this has been great fun to talk about. I appreciate being uh, asked to do this. And I'm working on um, some new books right now. Um, my last couple books have been, well, they've been um, Westerns. My next book will be a historical novel. I'm not ready to talk about it yet, but it will probably be out in within the year. Um, mm -hmm. If you like the indie books, uh, let me suggest one book that you might take a look at. And this is oh, a book that's about 15 years old now, but it's uh, The Moon Pool. And mm -hmm. it's um, a thriller set against cave diving. And uh, it's set in Missouri. And it is one of my favorite novels my favorite novels change from time to time but the the moon pool keeps coming back is uh is one of my favorite ones so it has some of the same elements i think that uh that i had fun with with indy in terms of mythology and action and adventure so um you might check the moon pool out mm -hmm. and i think it's i think it's out of print and i'm, I'm making no money from suggesting <laughs> this. so um this is the way it works but it uh yeah, the moon pool was fun. 